All right. Here we go. Quiet. Roll up. Welcome back to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films today and yesterday, and we try to put them into some sort of context for you. Seated across the microphone from me is film buff online, editor-in-chief, Rich Tree. And seated across <laughs> the microphone from me is a very zen film buff online contributing editor, Natasha Bogutsky. How was your holidays, Natasha? Munch that once was is lost for now. None who live remember it. What? Did you accidentally throw a gift away? <laughs> what are you saying? I may have regifted a few. Okay. That's, that's fair. That's fair. That's why I get you autographed things, so you can't do that. I actually did get a few of my friends um, an evening star and a one ring. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, I think I know who. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, but yes, it, it's we're, we're in that weird hammock of a week between Christmas, which was just a day ago for us, and uh, New Year's, which is fast approaching. <sighs> so it's, this is always a weird time. And, you know, uh, we have things that we have to do this week unfortunately but um even putting that aside this always seems like this weird week where you kind of like you what kinda, the fuck do i do you kind of go back to work for a couple of days and you're off again for a couple of days well, no one wants to party and people don't want to get together because god almighty we've had enough of each other We're, or you're still visiting with relatives or this is the time you make between the two days to make your trips to the other, cinema <laughs> make time for other people or just yeah go to the movies they were packed today. Really? Great. I I went to see um for the second time uh Godzilla minus one. Yeah. I actually just got out of it mm-hmm. and came straight here. <laughs> um the last time I went and saw it, there was probably four people in the theater and that was including me and the friend that I was with. Mm-hmm. And uh and then today there was probably four seats that were open. Wow. That's fantastic. Holy crap. Well, I mean, the, the, the movie has been getting great, crazy word of mouth. Oh, online. but I mean, the entire cinema was packed so much that mm-hmm. they had, on a weekday, open their second concession stand. When was the last time they did that? Wait. The, mm-hmm. the one of the ones in the wings? Mm-hmm. Wow. I can't even recall. I know it was pre-pandemic. It was very much pre-pandemic. was the last time they the last were open during yeah. a weekday. Yeah. Or, or at all. Yeah. Um, Wow, that's amazing. I mean, it. yeah, people are off from school. A lot of people are off from work. So if you don't do the movies on Christmas Day thing, you maybe have a, a thing where you go see movies, you know, during that week. I know for myself, back uh, when my parents would have, like, my brothers and their kids all in around the holidays over the course of, like, a week, uh, when I would go down, usually, you know, on, like, a Saturday or a Sunday – I would gather up as many nephews and nieces as we could get into cars, and for three years in a row, <laughs> we went off to see Lord of the Rings, Fellowship, Two Towers, and then Return of the King. I'm starting to. That was a little. Uh, I'm starting holiday to see a little bit of a, a theme here. Well, yes, we are getting to our review <laughs> of Return of the King, but I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about some other stuff first. Yeah, so, you of know, course. To get there. Um, but um, no. I- 
no, today was today was packed. Um, the theater was bouncing. Uh, speaking of when Godzilla mm-hmm. released his final heat ray in the movie, or you know, yeah. you know what scene I'm talking oh, about? Oh gosh, yeah. You could hear a pin drop. <laughs> it was so freaking quiet in mm. the cinema. I have only had that experience for one silent moment the rest of this year. Mm-hmm. And that was when Oppenheimer's doing the Trinity test and detonates the bomb and it goes silent before the, the sound wave hits you. Mm-hmm. That's it, the only other time I've heard where the cinema has been so quiet you could hear. Yeah. Drop. yeah. And, and before that, I would say was probably the Holdo maneuver in Last Jedi when um, – she flies the yeah, like- ship at light speed through the Imperial Star Destroyer. And that, you know, you get that very Mm-mm. absolute dead dog silence. And you virtually, get it. You virtually, get it in the movie. You don't always get it from the audience. Well, well, you get it in the audience. And virtually, like, every time, the first three or four times I went to see Last Jedi that opening weekend, it was, like, deathly silent. And then you hear just one person go, damn, or shit, or something, <laughs> some variation on that. I had um, only one quiet experience of that particular moment, and mm-hmm. that was when we got to see it pre-screening. Every time I saw it in the audience, which I only saw that film maybe two or three times in the cinema. Really? I didn't go as okay. nuts on that one. Um, not because I didn't enjoy it, mm-hmm. just I didn't have the time. Yeah. And uh, I I did get one damn... I did hear um, a crunching of a lot of popcorn in the second one. And then the third one went – someone went, give me a fucking break. Well, that person's a jerk. Um... (laughs) But it was kind of interesting to see the levels of people who were excited about that moment, people who were kind of just like, whatever. Like, I've seen it all to the person who is just like – yeah, that moment for him was just complete bullshit. So it was, I, I kind of liked that each screening I had a different reaction mm-hmm. that I could enjoy. I would like to talk to the person who found it to be, quote unquote, bullshit for them uh, as to why. <laughs> You're also but... the person who unleashed on a, a parent <laughs> in the middle of It Chapter 2 for bringing a baby to a 9 o'clock st- screening. Yeah. And yeah, they shouldn't have done that, but you also shouldn't have loudly said in a full, a full cinema, who the hell brings a baby to a 9 o'clock showing of It Chapter 2? Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> we should have fed the baby to Pennywise. Oh, um, I would have absolutely been behind that. <laughs> And then I would have earned the fucking red balloon that was tied mm-hmm. to my car. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of eating babies, how about that Doctor Who special? Oh, my God. A lot that, of fun. It was a lot of fun. And, um, of course, there was no babies actually being eaten on Disney+. Plus, So <laughs> we're never going to have that happen. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but there was one thing that did kind of irk me. What was that? Each doctor in their opening episode has had their – ever since, you know, Eccleston, each one has had that moment of, I am the doctor. Mm-hmm. I'm the one you're going to have to deal with. You had it from uh, Eccleston when he addressed um, 
the uh, nesting consciousness. Yes. You got it with David Tennant and the Sycorax. Mm-hmm. You had it, oh my God, one of the best. And, y- and the beauty of it is you almost didn't see it coming, was Matt Smith bringing back the Atraxis and giving them a scolding. <laughs> And you get that wonderful montage of all the doctors, and then he steps through it. Which is Hello, fantastic. I'm the doctor. Basically, run. And mm-hmm. then, holy shit, they take off. <laughs> and then you also have it with... Yeah. Yeah, with Peter in uh, in Deep Breath. Mm-hmm. You get that that wonderful moment. You didn't have that here. Okay, that's fair. That's I, fair, because, yeah, it's it's the doctor... Mm-hmm. Announcing themselves not only to the bad guy, uh, but it's and to the audience, on, count, and to the audience, but also the doctor announcing themselves to themselves because they're kind of like still a little unsure, sure coming through regeneration about themselves, and then finally like, no, boom, I am the doctor, and and I think the excuse can be made is, well, we got that when during the by generation. In, in front of in Neil Patrick Giggles Harris special. when he yeah. w- just immediately turned and both of them said, I am the doctor. Yeah, but it, it makes it easier to do that when you have another doctor standing right next to you. Yeah, it, That's it kind not, of undercuts it, actually. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't announce you. It announces mm-hmm. both of you mm-hmm. as almost a singular unit, which is a badass moment in itself. But that is not your moment of being able to prove yourself to the audience that you are worthy to take on this this character, this weight. Mm-hmm. This is the Hamlet of sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> it is forever changing. Many people have played it and always have put their own stamp on it. Mm-hmm. I love what Shooty's doing, but we didn't get that moment of strength we, and terror that i th- the pronouncement yeah okay like that's that's a fair point you know and something i didn't think about and maybe if i had time to rewatch it again from yesterday and i haven't unfortunately uh i probably may have may have picked up on that i know um, this doctor has gone through some sort of rehab from you know from some of the trauma that he's dealt with from his own personal failures and PTSD probably that go along with it. Hello, Flux. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he is renewed. He has a, a whole new sense of what life and joy and, and mm-hmm. happiness should be. Which is good because, first of all, when, when, when we see him out on the dance floor, he doesn't have a care in the world. He is enjoying mm-hmm. in a way that I don't think we've seen the doctor enjoy in a very long no. time. no. No, it's not at all. Pure freedom. I mean, we've seen the doctor the enjoying is friends, enjoying time with friends. Yeah, but Bat we've never Smith seen just that. you know him just like you know out there just getting his groove on and enjoying life. Yeah, he he's again he's free of that weight that mm-hmm. sits on his chest, which is interesting because I thought that the potential was there, and may, and we saw it a little bit with Matt's Matt Smith's fourteen, mm-hmm. or excuse me, David Tennant's fourteenth Doctor. Where the flux weighs on him the way the time war weighed on the ninth doctor. Mm-hmm. So that was, for me, I was kind of like, hmm, 
are they going to explore that? And then they just kind of do the bi-regeneration thing and kind of bypass that idea of – Bi-generation. Or bi-generation, excuse me. <laughs> and um, bypass the idea of exploring the um, the trauma and things like that because they have done it before and Russell T. Davies is the one who did it before. So I could see him wanting to maybe just kind of hand wave it away and give us this new doctor who's very much different than – other doctors we've seen before, but also very similar. I just, yeah. The problem is, is the doctor is also a defender. And in order to do that, you have to have an inner backbone to mm-hmm. stand up to these wow. creatures. They need to know who you are. They need mm-hmm. to who, know whom they're dealing with. You need to make give them a reason to fear Earth's defender. We didn't get that. And I'm maybe we'll get that at the beginning of our maybe the Christmas special wasn't the right moment to do that. Maybe we'll get it in um somewhere along in the in the new season coming up this spring. Yes. So that's gonna be exciting and something fun to wait for. There's a lot of things coming up this spring. Um yesterday we also got an the date announcement. Two years coming, about time, uh, for the new season of Shonda Rhimes' wonderful hit show on Netflix, Bridgerton. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. They've mm-hmm. announced a two-part season oh. following in the uh, in the same Mold, realm of uh, the, the crown. Crown, yeah. uh, Stranger Things, a number of other uh, series have done that. Mm-hmm. You know, drop four episodes, here's then wait, and then drop the other five, six, whatever. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that that plays out. And this both... is the second season now. Third. Third. Okay. Yes. Okay. And uh, and there's a nice little link because we'll have Nicola Coughlin in the new season of Doctor Who guest starring as well as playing our wonderful character of Penelope. Or for those who really pay attention and have been watching, <laughs> Lady Whistledown. Uh... <laughs> So I, I'm really excited to to see that come to life. Also, Doctor Who is delving into a little Bridgerton fantasy as well by getting a nice Regency episode this season. Yep. I I, I have my fingers crossed, but I know I'm going to be disappointed by that because I really just want that to be a straight-up historical episode. No science fiction elements once the TARDIS drops them off there. <laughs> we haven't had one of these since, like, the early 80s in Peter Davidson's Black Orchid and I really just want a straight up historical episode. No, no, um, Agatha Christie fighting, you know, giant mutant bees or whatever. Or that. Lord Byron. And... Yeah. And an yeah, actual no. Frankenstein monster or, you know, whatever. Um, did they do a Lord Byron story? Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Beginning that's right. of Jodie Whittaker. That's right. Because they also did Rosa Parks in the same season. Mm-hmm. That episode was good. Yeah, the, the the Rosa Parks episode was amazing. I will give them that. The annexing of a, uh, Pakistan. Uh, no, was it Pakistan? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the, that was also the, a really partis- good episode, too. Par- uh, partition there. Um, mm-hmm. Also, although the best historical episode was science fiction elements, unfortunately. Shakespeare? No. Damn. The one with Van Gogh. Yes. It was just oh, that blows my mind. The best of all of them. Not a big fan of the creature that they created for that episode, but that episode but stands apart. Oh my god! Chances how it ends and, and the Musée it, d'Orsay is it, it just brings me to tears. 
Every time. Oh, Every God, time. Yeah. And having Bill Nye just show up to be the curator who that... gives that little tiny speech. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. my it's... heart. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> but other fantastic things we're going to talk about. Um, wow. I couldn't believe it uh, when we first talked about doing this episode a couple of weeks back. It's been 20 years since Return of the King came out. Oh, my God. Now I'm feeling old. (laughs) I remember seeing this in the cinema. Uh, Well, I saw it twice opening day, the same that I did with Two Towers and Fellowship. Fellowship is the only one I didn't see in the cinema. Oh, okay. I saw saw two. I actually, how I got turned on to Lord of the Rings was I saw it in Blockbuster. Same with The Matrix. And I just (laughs) blind rented it because I thought the cover looked interesting. Ah. And wow, what a ride it started mm-hmm. me on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, it's, I mean, it's still, I think, you know, so let's just transition right into what we're going to be talking about. Okay. It's it's still, without a doubt, probably the most consistent in qu- terms of quality across a trilogy of films. Agreed. Um, and I'm sorry to Star Wars, but this is my holy trilogy. But. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I love Star Wars, too, but I you know, I dare say Return of the Jedi kind of takes a little dip after Empire in the first film. This, I think, is just straight across the board. It gets better, actually. I would say that well, the I, quality of it progresses and gets higher. I would think that's it, partly due to confidence as they're going through the second and the third movie and post-production and everything. They really got, you know, once once they knew what they had with Fellowship, it got better and better because they, they had that confidence. Well, I, would, just, I would grant you that. Not just quality, but better storytelling, better character arcs. Um, you had the, the bonding well, the, amongst the actors finally happen. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay – now well, we know that, how they play. Part of play that's the, the source material, but yeah, but now we know how well they had lightning in a bottle with their cast. Oh my god, yes, <laughs> it's one of the best it, casts of all time. It and boggles my mind to think that Vigo Mortensen was their second choice. I know. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, we've got Stuart Townsend here, and then he, after two weeks, he goes, you know, this isn't working, and he goes off to do. Queen of the Dam. Uh, I'm Damned, sorry, which I, is I, not good. It's not good, but no. it is still kind of like a, I would say, a cult classic. It's yeah. not. It's not. No m- cult great. that I would join. Oh, I would. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would if it brought Aaliyah back from the dead. I would. Okay, fair enough. But no, they had lightning in a bottle with their cast, and which is impressive considering it's such a huge ensemble it's not like okay you have to like with harry potter you got to have just like the main three be connected and then you could just like surround them with the cream of the crop Mm -hmm. but if no one really likes our three kids (laughs) then the whole damn thing falls apart you've got here you have to you've got to get them all right main ensemble of nine characters yeah nine (laughs) and um Surrounding them are okay. Uh, some dwar- some elves. We have a couple of you know other elvish royalty characters. Mm-hmm. We have two different kingdoms uh, with you know rulers and attendants and you know family members there. Yeah, you have your on-screen villain of Gollum, uh, and actually uh, two on-screen villains. If you want to put Saruman into the mix as well. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 
Saruman, his lackey. <laughs> uh, you've got Treebeard, who pops up for, you know, out of nowhere and is wonderful. And um, then you have some other things like... And you have to be afraid of your major villain only by a presence and what other people say. He's the Maris of fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's that's a nice reference. Um, but yeah, you have to be no, terrified of this thing, you and you never really see him. Yeah, you well you, in the flashback to the war, you know, to the end of the second age. Yeah, but you never see him in his full power in present day. No, you don't get an idea that this mm-hmm. person needs to be feared now. True, although I would say because. He doesn't – Sauron doesn't have his ring, and he invested so much power of his into the ring. Mm -hmm. He is somewhat diminished, but he's still an incredibly dangerous foe. It's almost like um, a little bit like Voldemort-ish, how he just has that that presence and can kind of seep his way into the hearts Mm -hmm. of darker wizards without – coming to full power until the fourth film and not until the end of the third act uh finally gets physical form and then he's a force to be reckoned with this character is a force to be reckoned with whether or not he's standing in front of you Mm -hmm. yeah and i mean okay it's a giant fucking eye yeah (laughs) it's a giant flaming eye on top of uh a A tower tower. and you know there are some, you know, Tolkien purists who are like, "Well, it was never described as a giant flaming eyeball on top of a ta- on top of Baradur." I'm kind of like, "Well, you know what? You sort of have to make some allowances because it's a different medium, and if you're going to visualize this as a symbol of what he is, that certainly works. I mean, the red eye of Sauron was something in the book." Or the flaming eye of Sauron is something in the books. Um, And it's interesting how – So to kind of literalize it I think works in the movie and I think it works very well. Well, it's kind of interesting though because you – that particular image of the tower with the flaming eye on top of Baradur, it may have never been mentioned in that particular – connotation in the books but it has become synonymous with lord of the rings ever since yes you see that image anywhere you know exactly where it's from mm-hmm. and it's interesting how illustrations on newer versions of the books have that image now true, true. Uh, that might be the um the publishers looking to cash in a little bit on the public's perception of the movie and their familiarity with the movie to bring them to the books. And that's fine that's with me. That's fine. Yeah. It is, if that causes more people to read it, mm-hmm. by all means, have at it. But it's insane to me how this almost didn't happen. You know, um, the Weinsteins had the rights. They were looking at a couple of different people to, you know, bring this to the to to the screen um, at one point, they were like, we just want to do one film, which seems insane. You can't. You can't. And, Absolutely and Peter, not. Peter Jackson, apart. Peter Jackson kind of pitched them a two-film idea at first because he's a, he's a, a long-time uh, Tolkien fan. Mm-hmm. And he pitched them like a two-film version. And they didn't like it, but they gave him like five days to take that pitch out to anybody else mm-hmm. to, you know um, – you know, to see if they could do it, you know, and then they would take a certain percentage of the gross just because, you know, they had the rights. So, you know, that was going to be the deal. 
And that's when they went to New Line, which was basically known as like a genre, this little genre studio under Warner Brothers. And um, Bob Shea, yeah, Bob Shea at Warner Brothers, or at New Line was like, you know what, Peter, I really, really, you know, I know you already. We've, you know, worked together on The Frighteners. Um, We have this relationship. I know you as a filmmaker and as a person. I don't want to do this project as two movies. We need to do it as three. And that's the first of a series of incredibly ballsy uh, New decisions. Line, if, if this trilogy had failed, I think New Line would have gone under. Oh, they most definitely would have. And they would have. They came- put everything they had into this. Well, yeah. I mean, Ultimate, they originally budgeted this at like $120 million per movie or so, but it actually. Allegedly, the budget comes out to actually around two hundred eighty million for the, all three films, because, which is still like okay. Well, do you know what that like is? Like Avengers Endgame. Okay, do you know what that is? Adjusting for inflation, that's about four hundred seventy-seven million. Oh, okay, okay, that's, that's a adjusting lot of money. for. But that, I mean, inflation. you get three movies out of it, but still, yeah, that's a that's lot of money. And um, adjust it for inflation. Now divide it by what by, was it? Four seventy-seven. Yeah, so three is um, it's about one. Uh, jeepers. 185? That's still less than what most people spend on major blockbusters now. That's true. And by comparison, quality-wise, they're shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In terms of visually, yeah. (laughs) Um, This is almost all practical. So much much out of of this is, you know, people are like, Peter Jackson, the guy who made, you know, uh, that that weird puppet movie, Meet the Feebles. Peter Jackson, the guy who did... uh, The weird genre horror film? Brain Dead? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or Dead Alive. And, um... Yeah, but he knew how to stretch a New Zealand dollar for as much as you can get out of it. And I think that is what served him so well. Mm-hmm. You know, honestly, if like George Lucas or Steven Spielberg went to make this movie, they would absolutely be thinking, well, we're going to ha- just have to do um, uh, the Hobbits as, you know, opticals and, you know, op- you know, put them in digitally into the scene. Peter Jackson's like, fuck that. We're just going to use simple um, force perspective. Yeah. And, you know, and it and it's absolutely perfect. And now, they did wonderful. do some uh, blue screen and uh, composite shots oh, yeah. and stuff and like that. But some of those. They kept it really simple as in, like, let's composite some of the crowd to to give the, you know, idea of depth and well, more they soldiers. Had, they had developed whole computer algorithms that said, okay, rather than just having, you know, like 10 things, you know, programmed into this thing. So people, you know, there's like these repeating patterns and people are going to spot that if you stay on that shot too long. Every single person is going to have a, you know, their own individual thing. And they're going to keep doing ra- random things around there to give it more of an actual battle chaos look. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, The first... Okay, I'll tell you exactly. I know exactly the day. September 9th, 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in New York City at the Lincoln at Lincoln Center uh, for the Film Society was doing a I just a did presentation. a presentation. My brain just finally uh what's the word I'm looking for? Uh digested. No, that's not the right word, but it's close enough. That date. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was I was in New York City Sunday. That Sunday, at Lincoln Center, there was a presentation. Um, well, 
reverse back a couple of months in July at Cannes, the Cannes Film Festival. They did de- they debuted about twenty minutes of finished footage from the movie to critics and uh, you know film writers and stuff. And everybody went ape shit. They were like, oh my god, this is going to be great. And that's when they first knew they had something. So then this um, Lincoln Center thing came along, and I went up into the city for that. And um, Peter Jackson was supposed to be there, but he, you know, just pressure of everything. He was in New Zealand, but they kind of videoed him in before Zoom was a thing. And, you know, they debuted some of that footage. They showed us, like... Um, the sequence in the Mines of Moria, when um, oh. uh, Gimli oh. runs into Balin's tomb, all the way up until like the cave troll pops out. Oh my god! And, and everybody's sitting there like, "Holy crap!" And then they they step back and they show you a lot of the digital three D uh, compositing that they did for this stuff. Um, but still, to this day, the thing that most blew my mind was they were showing you the shot of Gandalf and Frodo on the on Gandalf's wagon mm-hmm. coming into the Shire. And, you know, they're sitting there talking to each other. And then the camera just moves a little bit off. And suddenly you see that Elijah Wood is actually sitting, you know, like three feet back, but their eye li- how their eye lines were still kind of like lining up. And, you know, it, it shatters the illusion of the forced perspective thing, but you see it working and then you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. How did they do this digital? And, oh no, they didn't do it digitally at all. And it was just kind of totally blew my mind. I was just like, wow. And that's, that's the moment. Everything else was just like icing on, on this, um, 111th birthday cake. But, Do you remember? <laughs> very nice. Thank you. Do you remember uh, the movie Magic Books? Yes. So when I was younger, I would buy some of those, and they did one for um, Return of the King, which was absolutely amazing, uh, and it showed a lot of behind-the-scenes photos, uh, stills from the film. By the way, you and I are going to have a talk off mic about the extended (laughs) version. There is a particular shot from the movie Magic Book in the Houses of Healing between Aragorn and Eowyn that seems not on the extended version. You know know what scene I'm talking about. There are – if you go on YouTube – There's still more? There is still like more footage – there's Either like show- four versions of the extended. Yeah. F- from when I was doing research earlier on. Um, but there, there's on YouTube there are like compilations of clips. Compilation. From- but- compilation. <laughs> um, <laughs> I will forever not pronounce that correctly. Now <laughs> emphasis it's, on the wrong syllable. Over now here. it's just out of spite. But there are gr- mm-hmm. um, you know, there are whole reels of these kind of things where they have like, and then there was this picture from this book. And that that never we never saw that scene. Or there was like this shot, and you see like like BTS footage, and you can see in the camera um, monitor something happening. It was like, wait, that 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 was never a scene. Those two characters didn't a- interact in this way, even from a different angle than what we see being shot. Um, which is interesting because I think it really goes to tell you, and you know, again. Also, just watching the theatrical versions and then sitting back and watching the extended versions, it really goes to give you an idea of what it's like to edit. (laughs) Yes, but there was also more in the book, which I thought was interesting. So you were mentioning some of the experiences you Mm -hmm. had leading up to its release. 
Yes. What about the release itself? Because I saw photos of from the premiere of, of, I believe it was, Fellowship of the Ring. Central Park, New York City. Premiere night. They had elvish boats out on the lake. And oh, wow. people in elvish capes. And it was, the whole place was lit up with like, candlelight and everything mm-hmm. and, or or like yeah firelight and all that i saw the photo and it just blew my mind <laughs> just the amount of love that there was for lord of the rings yeah. well they basically recreated the shire for the uh the thing at con you know that earlier at, at the expense of about two million dollars wait you got to walk through that at the, no, the no, con or no? no no that was at con in july of that year oh okay and, and um that was to help generate the excitement um i remember it being fairly packed even even going to that very first showing on friday morning with um my friend evil twin and um you know it was packed and then you know we ducked out got some lunch and came back for a second showing and then that became like the tradition for us for those three years and then we did it again with The Hobbit, even though The Hobbit wasn't as good. Um, <laughs> You're a completist. Yeah. And and it was just like, uh, this is our thing. We do this. We're talking nerds. This is what we're doing. Um, and, you know, it was packed again. Usually you'll think like, okay, on a Friday opening day, the first showing, because everybody wants to be at the first showing. And then like later on in the afternoon, it's going to taper off. And then as people get out of work because they're responsible adults for some stupid reason, <laughs> and then they decide to come, you know, to a Friday evening, it was, it was packed like through the day, you know, and then, you know, we're coming out of the second showing around, I don't know, five, six o'clock. And, you know, there are lines. When was the last time you've been at Cinemark outside of Barbenheimer when there were lines and they had the uh, the stanchions with the the ribbons up and everything for people to stand in line outside of a theater? I'm thinking – oh, I know. Not Endgame. They didn't have no. them for Endgame. Downton Abbey. When we were there for the first Downton Abbey movie. That doesn't count, though. Which, that which was, was a sp- – it was a special screening. It was, but it was a something special like that. screening, it so was, I don't count that. Yeah, it was something like that, though, for – I can tell you what it was. Okay. Breaking Dawn Part Two. Wow. Okay. Okay. Because Twilight had that effect mm-hmm. that Lord yeah, of the I Rings was, and Harry Potter had. I was at a had. theater that weekend too, and it was nuts. I was going to see something else. Every single like, Twilight movie, including I, the first one, every I, single one. I walked in that weekend. I was like, "Oh, damn it! I forgot this was happening." <laughs> but um, um, but yeah, I, but mean, I would say reserve seating kind of killed a little bit of that culture. Yeah, it did because. I, also, they've shrunk down the amount of seats too, so yeah. you have reserved seating and the the bigger recliners. Yeah, yeah you, at least you can room. guarantee yourself a seat instead of them overselling and mm-hmm. not having enough seats to to fill their yeah. theater. Uh, yeah, I do. I do miss or to fill the tickets. I do miss getting there early, standing in line, and with talking friends. with everyone yeah. that you you'll never mm-hmm. ever Honestly, see again. The but last... there was like an excitement for yeah, the film, you, so you, you had a shared experience or shared excitement. Yeah. You get that sometimes at film festivals where you don't necessarily have reserved mm-hmm. seating. But the last time I really remember that for like a regular Joe movie was um, uh, Revenge of the Sith, Star Wars Episode Three. When um, a bunch of us were up at our local Cinemark 
several hours early. The lines, they had lines set up outside. They didn't even bring you into the building until it was like within an hour of your screening. So we were sitting up outside. We had um, those little collapsible captain's chairs, and we were just like <laughs> hanging out, having a good time. <laughs> um, I yeah, I do sort of miss it myself, yeah. but it's yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, it's just how things you know change and grow. Well, um, I rem. It's probably also to like I said, stop overselling tickets for seats that they don't have. My mom told me a story of the first Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Mm. They had oversold the amount of seats that were in that cinema when she went to see it. Really? Wow. That she sat on the aisle stairs oh, to wow. watch that movie. Oh, wow. Which, I mean, that's a fire hazard. I mean, I remember, <laughs> see, I remember seeing Star Trek, the motion picture in a theater as well, uh, outside of Harrisburg, actually. I think it was the Eric Twin Dairy Street, which is no longer there. But, you know, it's the theater I saw Star Trek II. I saw yeah. Empire and Star Wars and Raiders. And uh, on Golden Pond, uh, <laughs> and um, I, I, I want to, re- I want to say that was like about half full, but we're getting off topic here. Yeah, I was going to say we've talked a lot about how Lord of the Rings came into being, mm-hmm. but we're not here to talk about all the Lord of the Rings. No. We are here to Hold talk on. about one in but particular. I want to say this though before we kind of narrow our focus in on the the finale here. Okay. You invest $281 million into a series of three films. How much do you think is a good return on your investments? Considering the fact that, you know, two and a half times uh, what you spend is what you need to bring back in before you start to turn a profit because of prints and advertising. I I would hope that if you're going to tuck at least 250 in it, you're looking at somewhere around an $800 million profit at the minimum. Well, 800 million would be rough. If you invested 270, uh, yeah, 275 is four, four, five, fifty. So that's, that's your, that's 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 roughly, that's your break, break even point. Okay. Then I would say I would want somewhere around 1.1 to 1.2 bill. Okay. That's pretty much what one of these movies brought in. Overall, in $2003, you know, uh this movie made 3 billion dollars. That's adjusted for inflation. Right. <laughs> adjusted for inflation, it's about 5.1 billion with a B for three movies that you only paid adjusted for inflation $477. <laughs> Four hundred seventy-seven and a half million dollars for now. After after your costs and everything, mm-hmm. you're still making eight times what you invested. Eight times. That's enough for that I mean, studio you, to. You can sit there go and, for yeah. a very long time. Yes, and of course that's why there was lawsuits over profit participation with Peter Jackson. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think that speaks to the quality. I mean you. Box office doesn't always equate to equality, but for people to keep coming out for these movies and next month when there are extended edition screenings in various theaters, you know, each one individually on certain days and then like on the weekends they're doing like all three 11 hour marathons. Yeah, I I looked buckle at the... up and get a catheter. <laughs> and... I, I'm hoping that they're going to take a like maybe 
they'll put like a little intermission, like it, it was a road show, yeah. and say, okay, next film starts in 20 minutes yeah, or they do, 30 they minutes. They do that with Bollywood films now at our local cinema, yeah. where they used to not do that. They now have, you know, gotten proactive about dropping a 10-minute intermission in when the movie has that moment. Um, no, I mean in between yeah. these films. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping there will um, be like, okay, this is going to have a th- – a 30-minute yeah. inter, uh, intermission I'm before not sure for, like, hours. AMC and Cinemark and them, but I did note that the um, one independent film uh, theater that I like outside of Philadelphia, the Colonial Theater in uh, Phoenixville. Easy. Your break time is going to be yeah. the 15, 20-minute uh, credits. Yeah. The, no, <laughs> no the, you get – there's a 15-minute break between Fellowship and Two Towers, and then they were doing an hour lunch break between Two Towers and Return of the That's King. That's smart because Return yeah. of the King, and depending on which extended version, could be four and a half hours. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of um, nice restaurants in that area, so you can duck out, grab a bite, come back. Yeah, because um, our I, our local cinema is starting it at ten a.m. Yes, well, the, well, for the the Colonial is also starting theirs at ten a.m. And I had been thinking about doing that one because that's at the mm-hmm. end of the month. Uh, but well, first of all, they sold out of their tickets really fast. It's in one of their smaller rooms, <laughs> but. It shouldn't be in the small room. I know, but I was like, uh, I it's don't gonna think bring gonna in, the in the money. Well, if they put it in the main room, which is the the nineteen oh the nineteen oh six theater, well, it's five hundred seats in there, and um, mm, they might fill it, and they're uncomfortable for a long period of time. They won't fill it. Yeah, <laughs> although although they did show um, uh, it's a wonderful life life recently and sold out. Well, it's Christmas time. Yeah. But that still, makes, for, and it's for only two everybody's hours. seen a hundred thousand times though. That's still pretty impressive. But it's in a historical theater. It's a yes. two-hour movie, and it's yes. Christmas time, which means for the whole family, it's a great experience. That's true too. But yes. Anyways, Return of the King. Yes. The it they had to stick the landing, and holy shit, did they? Yes. This is tied with Titanic as um, the. One film that holds the most amount of Academy Award wins in history. And Ben-Hur, is it? Ben-Hur. Oh, yes. Ben-Hur yes, and, and ben Titanic. Yes. So 11, uh, 11 Oscar nominations, 11 wins. Yes. Yeah. That's and insane. Yeah. It is insane, but at the same time, you know how sometimes people will say, oh, they gave this person an Oscar and it's more of a career Oscar than it was just for this performance they just did this past year. Or something like that, or oh, they should have won two years ago. So the Academy is kind of doing like a little makeup, kind of Oscar like thing. Christopher Plummer and Beginners. Which, yeah. yeah, and I, I kind of look at that and I'm like, well, you know, the Academy is made up of a lot of people. It's kind of hard to suggest that um, that kind of groupthink is happening in the nomination and voting process, but. When you look at Return of the King and you see how many times, you know, they were nominated in both um, for Fellowship and for Oh, Fellowship had a a nightmare of them, including one for Ian McKellen. And – but they didn't kind of sweep. Mm -mm. And this, I feel, definitely very much was a a case where everybody was like, okay, Return of the King is amazing. This entire project – is amazing. This entire run of films is just mind-boggling. It's going to change cinema. It's epochal, and and it's it, and it's, it, more it, it's, it's, it's more it's than just visual. It's it's 
getting 11 Academy Awards for the whole Kit and Caboodle trilogy. Mm-hmm. You know. Hey, no, I, I, I would actually say it it earns it because I oh, would, no, no, no. I would say Return the is finale. the best of all three films. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that Which there are it? some Tolkien nerds out there who absolutely disagree with me. That's fine. Mm-hmm. We're not I mean, going to get into it. We'll just agree to disagree. Which is interesting. I look at it from a film standpoint only. Mm-hmm. For me, I enjoy Two Towers the most, I think, just because it's all complication. It's, you know, if you look at it as a three-act thing, you've got introduction, complication, resolution. And Two Towers is nothing but complication. And I like that. I mean... Well, that's it, why you like Empire. That's true, too. But... <laughs> Even even within both of those movies, though, there are solid character arcs. The story ends at a thematic point mm-hmm. while still having a cliffhanger that leads you to the third movie. Uh, oh, my gosh. That just reminded me. The first screening of Fellowship of the Ring, when it ended with you know, Sam and Frodo striking out on their own mm-hmm. and everything, and then the credits started rolling, I remember some people being like, wait, that's it? And I'm like, dude, yeah, it's what you thought you were going to get all of the all three books into one movie and they were only going to call it by the first book's name. (laughs) (laughs) Duh. Uh, Sorry. It just it just that totally just popped into my head at this moment. But. Yeah, it's it's amazing, you know, overall. And a resolution can still be a shitty resolution. I, I look at some films where. You know, they they had a good point where they set up the the conflict, but mm-hmm. the resolution doesn't always stick the landing. This one not only sticks the landing, it it, it gives a wonderful bow. Yes, I mean it. it t- it's a twenty <laughs> to minute, a standing ovation. I mean, yeah, people go, "Oh my gosh, Return of the King has so many endings." Eh. You have to. It, it has nine freaking major main characters. Yeah, and. And let's be honest, not all of them get a real good – Gimli and uh, Legolas kind of disappear. After the coronation, as yeah. does Faramir and Eowyn and Eomir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Pip, a lot of things – We don't know. What happens to Pippin and Merry? As Tolkien nerds, we know what happens yes, to but, them, but we don't see it. Yeah, they – yeah. I mean, the last we see them is at the Grey Havens. And um, – but ultimately, you know, the story is, you know, Frodo's journey and then – how he by osmosis, I would say Sam because yeah. Sam is the part of Frodo he's leaving behind. Mm-hmm. And you know the book ends with that moment where he comes home from he gets back from the Grey Havens, comes into the his Hobbit hole, sits down, draws uh uh his daughter up on his uh lap and says, "Well, I'm home." Mm-hmm. And. You know, you can't end this movie without that moment, even if you do it outside instead of inside it. I'm fine with that. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, we know that the um, the little girl actress who plays his, his daughter, daughter is his daughter in real life. Yes. Who just graduated college. <laughs> yes. Did you see the uh, the picture going around of him with her in her graduate in yeah. her black grad? I think I'm the one who sent it to you guys. Okay. Okay. Maybe. Like okay. A week that's or two maybe ago. where. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I feel old. Oh, yeah, that's right. This movie is 20 years old now. Yes, it is. Yes. Um, no, this um, this film is, is fantastic. It has so much to commend it. The battle sequences are alone are uh-huh. something that needs to be studied in terms of, okay, this is how you plan battles. 
Um, and by well, the way, how you plan to shoot battles? Because if you we, get an idea of the yeah, geography, really, really quickly, okay. we need to say something. Go. From here on out, we're only talking theatrical. Yeah. Um, I know we've been mentioning a lot about the extended versions, uh, but for and the I've the, watched most of the rewatched most yes. of the extended and finished off uh, the theatrical in the, like the last two days. I <laughs> only watched the extended uh, recently, and I finished that off this afternoon. But I have the theatrical memorized, so I didn't need to rewatch <laughs> it. I can tell by watching the extended mm-hmm. what's changed and where pieces have been added and taken out. So um, we're only going to talk theatrical. And the reason for that is uh, after some conversation between Rich and I off mic, we came to the conclusion that if you're going to introduce anyone who has never seen Lord of the Rings um, – you don't start them with the extendeds. I'm sorry. Yeah, you you don't, just don't. You don't toss them into the, the deep end of the pool there. Because with Return of the King especially, and I also had this fight with uh, with a friend who's a big fan of the extendeds and pff, on the theatricals. <laughs> um, the theatrical versions are a very tight story. Uh, like we mentioned mm-hmm. with Titanic a long yeah, time ago, it, this script needs to be studied in how you format. It books along. Uh, it books, I was, but it hits every yeah, mark. Perfectly. When I was watching on Christmas morning um, the theatrical of Return of the King, I think I was – I can't remember the exact point, but I was an hour into the movie and I was like – and I was like, where am I in this? You know, And I hit you know the info button and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm already an hour into this? I thought it was like maybe 35 minutes. I thought it was only a half an hour in, mm-hmm. and the rest of it just cooks along, and you can complain about you know the multiple endings all you want. That's only 20 minutes of a three-and-a-half-hour movie. That's you know that's less than Which um, is seven, funny because one-seventh of the movie. As I noticed this afternoon with the extended versions, I was in the middle of Mount Doom and looking at it going, I have 53 minutes more to go. <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? Until I realized that 20 minutes of that is uh, the credits alone, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's that true. Fine. Yeah, uh, um, <laughs> yeah. They did they put um, the uh, fan club credits onto the theatrical I, or the the extent I can't remember. I don't know. I didn't I can't remember sit how that through them out. because I was uh, I was That's driving fair. up to uh, Godzilla at that point. I oh. was like, I finished the movie. <laughs> I can go to Godzilla now. Um, but let me ask you this though about these films. You know, you hear a lot of times that people watch these at on the holidays because that's when we first saw them was at christmas time and it you know it kind of takes us back to you know those christmas time would you consider these films like a comfort movie almost like i'm feeling kind of crappy i'm gonna put this on because the themes of fellowship and the Mm. bonds of brotherhood are so strong here not for me okay um, in terms of what series or saga or whatever I'm going to watch around the holidays because it's comforting, it's always going to be Harry Potter. Okay. And I think for my, for my particular generation, um, we consider Harry Potter, interestingly enough, I think it's because of the first few films. Holiday um, films. To, yeah, Christmas. to be holiday films. Yeah. Um, and the, we've most talked of, about that before. Yeah, I know we have. <laughs> most, um, because it's takes place during a school year mm-hmm. majority of the film plays out in autumn and winter so it has a particular aesthetic to its look um that invokes the idea of warmth and coziness and being with friends and being with family um 
So that's what I'm going to watch there. Um, Lord of the Rings for me is like a rainy summer film. Okay, I can see that. Look, I don't like, any rainy uh, Saturday like that I, I can have a stack of grilled cheese sandwiches. You know, like I really want table. it to be pouring outside, like a full-on hurricane thunderstorm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm gonna crack open one of my windows just enough to get that br- that nice summer breeze coming mm-hmm, through. That crisp- and then I'm going to turn on two towers and go Battle of Helm's Deep. <laughs> That's fair. Um, <laughs> it works. It's it's oh, aesthetically yeah. pleasing in that oh, moment. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> Vaguely reminds me of the first time I saw Alien on, um, on VHS. It was raining and thundering and lightning outside uh, our house. And, like, my parents were out. I was the only one home. And... Yeah, I'm just watching this movie, and every other moment I'm getting, like, a huge kaboom. And, you know, jumping from that and then jumping from mm-hmm. – yeah, it was a fun experience. Night Nighttime thunderstorm film for me as a kid, and I used to play it, and I would just play it on repeat mm-hmm. and then set my my uh, television to sleep mode after, like, two, two and a half hours <laughs> or maybe five mm-hmm. hours or something like that uh, was Matrix Revolutions. So by the time we got to the – big battle between uh neo and mr smith at the Mm -hmm. end in that huge thunderstorm the green light from like the actual the how the the shot is colorized and everything would flash and it would be all over my freaking walls and i would have my (laughs) bedroom windows open and it would just be thundering outside so i get the breeze i i can feel some of the the dampness from the water i'm getting that thunder i'm getting the colorized thunder off the television <laughs> <laughs> but for the theatrical versions and stuff i mean for all these movies i know the extended editions allow things to breathe you get a little bit more of this and that and the other that you may have missed that isn't necessarily necessary mm-hmm. for the storytelling but it's a nice little extra grace knows a nice little extra spice for me, the extended editions are nothing but I put them on and I just kind of luxuriate in in the detail, in the Some craft, of it I feel really does not need to be there. And um, honest, as I was finishing off the extended versions today, I love the character of Eowyn. The question I always had about the head orc at the Battle of Minas Tirith. I was like, oh, whatever the hell happened to that fucker? I was thinking and, about that too, watching the theatrical. And at the exact same time, I literally just don't give a shit. He's disposable to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last a- you see him is he kind of backing up with like, oh crap, as as uh, the riders of Rohan or something. Yeah, and I'm okay with that. I, mm-hmm. For me, he got trampled by the little fucking horses where the <laughs> where the big block failed to miss him. Miss mm-hmm. him, a horse got him, which is even better. Um... <laughs> But by putting him in and putting that little with Eowyn is clawing herself away after pulling her Macbeth moment and killing the uh, the Night King, the Witch King, mm-hmm. to finally see her all of a sudden turn um, damsel in distress, you know, kind of. It, it just undercuts the Witch King moment so much that I was like. I, I'm I'm okay with this scene not being in there. Okay, but I would have I, I would have put the moments of her and Faramir in the Houses of Healing back in because mm-hmm. I think that finishes off a really really nice grace note of those character arcs. Yes. Um, 
that I feel like we kind of needed for them. Mm-hmm. Because really for her, the last thing character-wise outside of, you know, killing the Witch King is getting dumped or getting shot down by Aragorn, really. She's like, you know I am here, right? And she's and he's like, um, yeah, however. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, but so at the I got cor- a girlfriend. So at the coronations, just seeing her stand by Faramir and they just kind of smile at each other, you're like, oh, they ended up together. Wow, that was fast. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well there's a lot of timeline compression, especially in, in the theatrical. There of is, the but I feel that if we it- could have just got like that shot of them staring at each other Mm -hmm. like we don't even need to get the absolute wonderful scene that they have where she leans her head on his shoulder as they're talking Mm -hmm. as everyone else is going off to battle without them but just getting the the healing montage and then seeing them see each other across the courtyard that's all i needed yeah It, it would have been two minutes put back in that i feel would have actually saved that particular arc and giving you the missing piece but even at a runtime of about three and a half hours for the theatrical yeah yeah any moment you can like well if we can shave this off we might be able to squeeze an extra showing of this movie in you know on per screen no and And i I agree you know that's where you get the art versus commerce well i had i then again you know, I was trying to give it my five mil- five billion dollars. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I was trying to give uh, it my best due because as I'm watching the rest of the extended version, I was going, yeah, everything that I'm seeing that was put back into the theatrical does not need to be there, mm-hmm. and for the theatricals part, it makes it a tighter story. Like, damn thing, really does need to be studied, and where Peter Jackson knew exactly where to cut. Oh yeah. And what to move around. There's a particular scene in the extended version where the Witch King takes on Gandalf and ends up destroying Gandalf's staff. Um, (laughs) Funny enough, while watching the theatrical version, I, I never once thought about, oh, why doesn't Gandalf all of a sudden not have his staff? Like, I didn't give a fuck. He's got his sword. Maybe he needed his hands free on the reins, or maybe it got lost in the battle and everything. Like, I didn't care because he shows up with it at the end of the fucking movie. True. So does it really matter? But it's interesting that they put that back in because if you think about it, it kind of mirrors the moment that they put back in uh, with Saruman at Orthanc back in the beginning of Return of the King Extended Edition, where Gandalf shatters Saruman's staff. So I, th- I think yeah, there's, there's an interesting... Yeah, but then he says he's powerless after that. So yes. it undercuts it. If the staff ends up showing up at the end of the film, where did he get it? It got shattered. See my he point? put it back together. I don't know. It doesn't work. It, okay. So that whole section with the Witch King versus Gandalf could easily be cut. One thing I thought about, though, while rewatching this, and I, it's something I thought about before, um, where it's it's about hope and courage and optimism in the face of bad things happening, which is very much, you know, a portion of Tolkien's Catholicism seeping into his work. You're and we, thinking we had this... of Samwise Gamgee. Yeah. Well, all these characters, when you had um, – you know, when Gandalf is talking with uh, um, Pippin, and when you have um, 
uh, Aragorn talking, you know, about certain things about having to, you know, fight this evil. Um, th- this ongoing theme through all three of these movies, actually. Mm. I was wondering if people's reaction and the people's embrace of this was in reaction to 9-11. And, you know, not just the weirdness of the two towers, uh, but but the idea of, you know, something uh, very traumatic happened to to us as a nation and to the world even i think outside of the us people were shocked and appalled by what happened and then these movies come out that are very much about finding brotherhood among different people hobbits elves dwarves um in the face of evil and coming together and saying we can build uh, towards a world of peace a world of you know hope and optimism and i wonder if you know part of that you know obviously peter jackson had no idea um but i wonder if part of this film's success is people using this film to work through some of their trauma or you know in some way i don't i don't know if maybe if i'm reaching here a little bit you're looking at me like you're not sure or you think maybe i'm crazy i i think it depends on the person um i i think the older oh yeah i'm not saying everybody no i'm saying i i would say again generational um for your generation who is very much a case of they (laughs) they can remember where they were when that moment happened Mm -hmm. um i think yeah they were looking for hope and um the feeling of uh, power and courage in the face of great evil um whereas for us kids i mean it was just a a hell of a ride (laughs) that yeah obviously you know gave us something that we didn't have which Mm -hmm. was this idea of fantasy fantasy films weren't uh weren't really a big thing mm-hmm. until Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, I think, came out at the same time. And then after that, you had a slew of things that tried to cash in on it, such as Golden Compass, which failed. Yeah. Um, Narnia, which is really kind of for kids. I mean, that's just the child... It's Tolkien light. It it well, it's C. S. Lewis, who well, was yeah. a friend of Tolkien. Yeah, I but... know, and I I realized as I was saying it how um, uh, dismissive that was, well, and I shouldn't have been. <laughs> but I'm also when you're watching it, there's you kind of have to go, okay, the charge, the battle charge in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe mm-hmm. is just the child's version yeah. of Battle well, Pelennor Fields. <laughs> well, my 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 complaint with the um the Narnia films is oh bite for, me. for the action <laughs> I didn't even say anything yet. Jeez. Um yes. for the action sequences, um, you don't get a really good idea of the geography of where you are and how these battles are playing out. Lord of the Rings, yes. you, you have you, you it, battle you plans have a lot better in Lord of the Rings. Absolutely know exactly what is happening and why it's happening and how these people are winning and how these people are losing. I, I think Prince in, Caspian did better than Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe okay. on that. But, like, you know, some of the Narnia films, it's just, like, a lot of running around and swords waving yeah. to me. And I'm just like, eh. 
you know, and I, I think that kind of pulls me out. Whereas having put that thought into how this is going to be visualized for Lord of the Rings and drawing, and I'm, you know, Tolkien kind of laid these plans out too, because, you know, he was in the army during World War One, mm-hmm. And um, I think that adds to the verisimilitude of, I know. Nice word. word. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, to the whole, you know, reality of what we're seeing there, you know, we we accept it more, and that of course helps us connect to the characters more too. Uh, also, I think he, yeah, Tolkien definitely had all that planned out. God knows he did maps of Middle Earth and how that worked. And... Well, he took thirty years developing elf languages and writing various <laughs> Dwarf, drafts of stories and all that became the Silmarillion yeah. and stuff before he. You know, dived in on the Hobbit. So yeah, yeah. I, yeah. It's it's impressive world this, building. This was a guy who was like, did. I wonder what an elf language would be, and this is what the end result is. You know, these <laughs> movies, this giant franchise. We were getting uh, the the Rohirrim animated film. I think next year. I was I was actually, I know I've brought up Battle of Pelennor Fields so much. Well, that's. The last third of the movie. Yes. The last half of the movie almost. But I would say um, that is one of the best battle charges in cinematic history. The When the the, Ooh, the row hero. Rohan Riders just oh. show up. <laughs> oh, God. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the amount of excitement. I can't, I am really hoping we can get back to the cinema to see this next weekend because that moment – as a child, without any prior token knowledge, just seeing the expansion of that on the big screen with Howard Shore's sweeping majesty mm-hmm. of a fucking score. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we don't talk enough about Howard Shore's uh, yeah, score. No, we haven't even we haven't even brought it up okay. here. It's amazing. It it hits, no pun intended, all the right notes it needs to hit. Oh my god! Um, yes. It's emotional. It's evocative. It's epic. It's personal. It's it's incredibly insane how good this score is. It's enchanting um, and mm-hmm. and um oh. and I and I appreciate too that you rewatched this because I know how you deal with spiders in movies. You're not a fan, <laughs> dude. Um, I within a month, 2003 was a very traumatic year for me. Um. Which is interesting because we also got Love Actually in the within like that same month. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to deal with Chamber of Secrets in I believe it was November, and then I had to deal with Return of the King in fucking December. So by then, <laughs> you think spiders would be easier for me? In fact, they actually became harder. Oh geez, because those well, two films back to back fucked me up. If it if it makes you feel any better, um. I've, I had to skip the Shelob section today. I've only watched Return of the King one other time in the past two and a half to three years. And the Grey Haven scene just totally wrecked me again. Again? Yes. Um, to For a little uh, peek behind the curtain on this one and a little personal thing in my life, um, a couple years ago, a uh, very close friend of mine from college passed away. And his wife asked me to uh, speak at the memorial service. And um, he was a fellow nerd, 
uh, we watched a, a lot of movies in his dorm room and um, missed a lot of classes. And, um, and you know, he was a Tolkien fan as well. Um, you know, big fantasy guy. You know, he played Dungeons and Dragons a little bit in college and everything. And I quoted uh, Gandalf's line about not all tears are an evil um, at the end of uh what i had to say and you know it and caused then, everyone uh, to sob well most uh, people who were there were fellow token fans as well yes they yeah well <laughs> they wouldn't have been friends with damon if they weren't <laughs> um i don't think you know that's just you know one point of commonality along with you know being a star wars fan and everything else and yeah and so like several months after that I sat down and I watched the the whole trilogy over like a week. And by the time I got to the Grey Havens and I hit that, you know, and as Frodo's getting on the boat and I lost it. It just totally wrecked me. And since then, it's been over a year, I think. And I think the second, you know, um, Bill, they're in the cart on the way to the Grey Havens, and Bilbo's like, "Oh well, guess I won't see the ring again. That's too bad. Oh well." And you know, I I just felt it just coming right up on me. I'm like, "Oh damn it!" Uh, Here we uh, go. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I let it happen. And, you know, I just you know, and it's that's the great thing about for yeah, you. it's cathartic, and it's that's the great thing about movies in general, though, is you know, I needed, I guess, I needed a good emotional release, and you know, I had it, you know, and you know remembered my friend at the same time and everything so you know so yeah <laughs> it wasn't being afraid of spiders but you know yeah so. <laughs> can we talk legacy sure as sure. in how do you see this film in the next 20 years from now because as of right now this thing fucking holds up in a way that <laughs> i i don't think some films like Avengers and all that are going to because of its dare I say a lot of its practical effects make it uh, steep more real and the themes I, are stronger. I I say it's the craftsmanship yeah. in creating this world. It's the writing. It's the making sure the characters feel real and giving them definable arcs and making them relatable that is going to make this thing an enduring classic. People at some point are going to look at Return of the King, see the part where Legolas takes down the elephant and sees him sliding down the <laughs> elephant trunk and go, that's not great CG. Really? Because I didn't even fucking notice. <laughs> it, it wasn't great when it came out 20 years ago. It, it's one of those very rare moments where you're just kind of like, Ugh. Because everything else is so damn good, but you're willing people, to forgive pe- it because you also saw him sl- like surf down stairs during yes. two towers, yeah. <laughs> which and was you, practical but ridiculous. And you um, loved every moment of it. You're like, oh my god, that's awesome. True. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, you get um, you, you're going to forgive the film that because everything else about it is so good. To draw a parallel, mm-hmm. Casablanca. Yes. Great film. Fantastic characters. Wonderful set. Great writing. When they look up to see the plane flying to Lisbon at the beginning mm. and go, oh, Ricky, you wish you were on that plane? Ah, why? Uh, you know, that whole thing. Plane looks – it's obviously a model. Um, but but I never cares? even noticed. Who 
cares that noticed. it looks like a model or not. Because that is not the important thing to the reality of the story. It's That's, how the characters are reacting yes, to it. Yes, exactly. And so, yeah, you may have a little bit of dodgy CG here or there, you know, and that may stand out even more so as the technology, you know, keeps I think improving. most of Gollum still holds up. Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. The motion and, capture on that is – there are a couple of moments from – particularly when they're, he's in the lava holding up the ring. That particular moment – it doesn't look great, mm-hmm. but well, at that point you you, 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 don't, you don't care. Yeah, it's I mean maybe you're willing it's just, to forgive some weird moments and, because and, uh, overall it's the craftsmanship. Yeah. And is so I've good. always said I think I'm more forgiving of a lot of you know questionable special effects work <laughs> simply because I grew up watching like old school Doctor Who where everything was dodgy oh, and God, dicey, yeah. but you didn't care because the stories were so interesting and involving. And that's what you have here. The story's interesting. It's involving. You care about these characters. You care about their journeys. You root for them. You boo the villains. And ultimately, if, you know, Legolas looks a little cartoony coming down that uh, elephant trunk, you're willing to forgive it. You don't even care because you're so immersed in other things that you're not looking for bad CG. And I think that's the most important thing there. As uh, as Gimli says, there's plenty for all of us. May the best dwarf win. (laughs) Yes. And I think on that note, though, we are going to wrap things up. Return of the King is currently on available on streaming various outlets it should be on your dvd or blu-ray shelf and um coming up uh next month uh at a theater near possibly near you you might have a chance to see the extended edition of all three fellowship two towers and return of the king so check your on separate nights or in a marathon yes So. so check your fandango apps start googling Get yourself out to a cinema to see these. Trust me, it's, it's worth your best. time, your energy, and take the family. It's the best way to see these movies. Absolutely. Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com, and we are available on iTunes and Google Play, so either use the link in the show notes post, head directly there. You know the rest of the spew. Search and hit subscribe. <laughs> and if you like what you're hearing, please leave a positive <laughs> review <laughs> because that always helps us connect with new listeners. We will be taking a few weeks off. It's the new year. We want to uh, kick back, relax. We've had an incredible year of movies. That being um, said, you will see us in a couple of weeks over on our friend JW's podcast, Generation Movie, as we discuss American Psycho. Mm-hmm. But this show will be back the week before the Academy Awards are announced, our Academy Award nominations are announced. So about the 11th or 12th of January, somewhere in there, mm-hmm. we'll figure out when we're going to record and drop that episode. We'll have a and lot to talk about. We'll be back with a whole new season. So until then, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you at the movies. Why do you Away.